0: Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday morning podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. We're going to dismiss the children, but before I do, children, I want to remind you that this summer we had a reading program in our church library and it was just great to see all the people that signed up to read books and how many books were read and for all of you who signed up for the reading program some of you didn't actually submit the names of the books you read so all of you signed up to participate we have a gift card for you for five dollars to half price books so do the math that means it's worth ten dollars right so uh, we have a gift card for you <laughs> for five dollars and if you were, if you signed up for the reading program, adults or children, if you would stop by the library after service today, and we'll have them for the next couple of weeks, you, your, na- your card has a name on it, and you can pick up your uh, gift card, and thank you for sharing. I would like to mention the winners who uh, really outread everybody else. Um, Jonah Ayers, I don't know if Jonah's here or not, but Jonah read the most of the children's books. And for the adults, Barb Wormenhoven read eight, 17 books, Yes, and Sharon Goodwin was one book behind at 16. So because of that, Sharon, uh, you, we're going to honor you and Barb both and Jonah Ayers with a double portion. You get $10 of half price books gift cards. Thank you so much. Children, you are dismissed. <laughs> Some years ago when I was probably in college maybe, I came across a uh, statue that I... I really don't remember where I bought it. I just I did and it was this uh famous repl- uh, replication of this famous statue of um, Michelangelo's Moses. And if you were with us in Sunday school this morning, uh we for the next several weeks, for 7 weeks total, we are studying the life of Moses, uh children, youth, and adults in Sunday school, and also we're going to reflect on it during the morning service as well. Moses. This is Michelangelo's statue of Moses. Mine was a gold-colored painted plaster one about this large. Um, I don't know. I don't have it anymore. I don't know what happened to it. Um anyway, if you look carefully at it and you you look closely, you'll notice he has horns on his head. you ever notice noticed that before? He has yes, he has horns on his head. And uh, the reason for that is in the Latin uh Jerome's Latin Vulgate, the uh, translation says, and they saw that the face of Moses when he came out was horned. And um, that's kind of a mistranslation, but it's, easy, it's an easy mistake to make. In our NIV translation, you're going to see, and they saw that his face was radiant. Well, it's slightly different than having horns on your head, okay? But the Hebrew word kahal um, has the idea of emitting rays, and a, vari- and a variant of it is horns, because they're both emitting, and so it's actually related words. And so most people think that the, iner- that the the translation of the Latin was probably an error. And Michelangelo, being in that context, then put horns on Moses' head. I always wonder when I got that statue, how can he get horns on his head? <laughs> no. um, however, there are those who think, actually he knew what he was doing. He understood it was probably a mistranslation. But as a sculptor, how would you sculpt Rays of light coming off someone's head. How would you do that? If you were making a clay, say, thing, how would you do that? How would you, how would a sculptor working with physical things end up with something that shows light coming off a head? And so there are those who think, no, actually, this was his way of showing that intentionally it was done in a way to show light coming off his head. We don't know. I don't really know what Michelangelo's intention was. The result was that it was sort of an interesting sculptor with Moses and horns coming out of his head. The word intentional, you know, in, in, in every generation there are, in every time period there are words that have become kind of buzzwords. And actually the word intentional, I try intentionally not to use a lot <laughs> because it's become so um, prominent in Christian talking about goals and churches and visions and so on. That we find, I find the word intentional used all the time now. So I intentionally try not to use it as much. But today, intentionally, we are going to talk about intentional. And what was Michelangelo's intention? I want us to consider for a few moments this morning. What was Moses' intention in doing what he did as we read about it in the first in the, or the second chapter? of the book of Acts. So let's pray. Heavenly Fathers, we open your word for the next few moments. We pray that our hearts will be open to your word. We are the Bream Bible Church because we believe that the Bible should be center of our teaching because it reflects us back to you. You are the center of our lives. And so we pray even as our children uh, gather around your word, as our preschool children gather around your word today, as our youth group tonight that uh, begins a new year gathered around your word that our hearts would be open to it, we would reflect on it, and we would think about it. As Josh reminded us last week, that we would know it and learn it, so that we might live it in our daily lives. To that end, we give you these next few moments prayerfully and carefully, in Christ's name, Amen. Exodus chapter two, and um, we're not going to. Our text this morning actually is going to be the New Testament, but just to remind you of the, how it, how we, we we find it in Exodus. One day, verse 11, Moses had grown up. Moses grew up in Pharaoh's court, which meant he was the elitist of the elite. He was the grandson of the most powerful man on earth, the undisputed world power at this time, Egypt. It really was the sole world power later on when between Babylon and and, uh, Persia and so on and the Assyrians. But at this point, it was really, I would say, the uncontested world power. He is the grandson of the leader of that, that empire. He has been raised in luxury, in fine arts, in soldiering, in music, in wealth, and, and, and everything that somebody who was the grandson of a pharaoh would receive. Forty years old, one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at the hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Glancing this way and that, seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I, what I did must have become known. And when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and when to live in Midian. We'll pick this up next week in our studies. Next week will be the burning bush in chapter 3. I encourage you to come and join us for Sunday school. Uh, Come and join us. We're going to stay in our peer groups the entire hour as we study this together. But our text this morning, what was Moses' intention in doing this? Why did he do this? Why did he throw everything on the line? Could he not have accomplished more for his people Possibly as a pharaoh someday. I don't. We don't know what dynasty exactly this was, and if there was another son, you know, we we really don't know. But just like any monarchy in royalty, he is in line possibly to be a pharaoh, and if not that, to certainly be high in power. Couldn't he have done more that way? Well, why did he do this? Why did he throw everything away and end up for the next forty years in Midian? Out in the desert raising sheep. Completely disconnected from everything that has ever been part of his life and his elitism. Why did he do that? Acts chapter 7. There are actually two passages in the New Testament. That I think throw a little more light on the story that we're not given in Exodus. And In Acts chapter 7 and in the book of Hebrews. And we actually looked at the Hebrews passage I know earlier this year. And we studied Hebrews. For next chapter seven, in the context here, is Stephen's speech, and Stephen, actually, is being um, actually Stephen in the early in the early church. If you notice in chapter seven, in verse thirteen, the accusation is, "This fellow never stops speaking against the holy place and against the law. We have heard him say that the Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place." and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All the Jewish parties, whether it was Sadducees, Pharisees, Zealots, Herodians, they all venerated Moses. They all looked to Moses as their liberator that God used to free them and to bring them the Mosaic law. And the charge against him is he is overthrowing the law of Moses and basically throwing Moses out and replacing him with Jesus. So Stephen gives this speech to explain their story and what he's doing. And in this speech, he's going to highlight their entire history. And a big part of it has to do with Moses, which one certainly would expect given the accusations. His sermon, and you can see it as he comes to the conclusion of his sermon at the end at the end of chapter 7 in verse 51. This is just before he's killed. You stiff-necked people. With uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who received the law that was put into effect through angels that have not obeyed it. His thesis, if you will, is that people, my brothers, you have always done this. You've always rejected God's prophet, and now you've rejected the Messiah. This is, this is our history. This is the, the point of his message, his sermon. And so we come to Moses, and where he fits into this story, in Acts chapter 7. And let's, let's pick it up at verse 20. At that time, Moses was born. He was no ordinary child. For three months he was cared for in his father's house. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son, Pharaoh's grandson. Now I want you to notice this. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and in action. He was brought up in Pharaoh's court. Uh, Somebody asked me in between the services here about some of the various traditions and writings. I think maybe some of this was explored in your classes today in Jewish literature and so on about Moses. And in the Jewish, what we call targums, basically we would call them today commentaries. When I go to study a passage like Acts, I pull off my shelf some commentaries on Acts. The Jews also had commentaries. And in these targums... Um, there are some amazing traditions about Moses, about his military exploits as a leader in Pharaoh's army. And Stephen seems to be referring to these traditions here when he reminds him that Moses was one who was educated, he was trained, he was elite. And I think the Jews in this context knew these stories about him as a great military leader, as one great in arts and sciences, as a powerful man who had everything. And this was his background. He was a beautiful child. It says before God. Some of the translations say he was he was beautiful before God, is the idea. And in fact, when it says he was mighty in word and deed, this is very similar to statements about Jesus Christ. Um, Luke tells us uh, in Luke and in Acts, on two different occasions at least, that Jesus Christ was mighty. In word and deed. And so Moses is sort of the the, the forerunner, the precursor, maybe a type of Christ who was mighty in words and deeds. And the Messiah who came was mighty in word and in deed. He was a powerful man who God had blessed. And he was powerful in all the ways of what you would expect royalty in Egypt. I was teaching the original class this morning, the college group, and we did talk a little bit about this, and some good questions came up. Who nurtured Moses in his faith? Where did his, you know, where did his faith come from? Where did his trust in God come from? What about his faith? Well, because you notice in verse 23, when it says that he decided to visit his fellow Israelites, the word "visit" there. In the Hebrew, it, it, it intends more than just kind of a happenstance or just kind of a coincidence. The same word is used of God. And earlier in, in the uh, in, in the Gospels of Luke, for example, the author Luke uses this term in chapter 168 where he says about God, because he has come to his people to redeem them, our translations say and The word come there is a the word visit. He came to, God came to visit his people. It wasn't happen chance. It wasn't a coincidence. He purposely came down to see to his people and to redeem them. And this is the word that's used here at Moses. And I want to suggest to you, this is not just a coincidence that Moses happens to be out one day and he stops by to see what the slaves are doing and he sees this happen. Moses made a point of visiting his people. People. In the passage, I want you to keep, keep something here in Acts chapter 7. I'll put my bookmark here. And I'll go over to Hebrews chapter 11. We looked at this earlier this year when we studied the book of Hebrews together. But in Hebrews chapter 11, where we also have the accounts of Moses. And I just this is a little bit of a review. We did look at this. But we have the author here as well referring to Moses in this, in this um, party of great people of the, of the faith. Of the Old Testament. And I want you to notice that verse 24. By faith. And remember that. This is what puts him in this hall of fame here, if you will. By faith. Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. When you read this passage, that Moses chose by faith, by faith he chose to go over to his people. And he chose to give up the treasures of Egypt and to suffer along with his people to be mistreated rather to enjoy the pleasures of sin. I think if you put that together with Acts chapter 7, I think the message in the New Testament is pretty clear. It's not quite as clear in the Old Testament, but it's very clear, I think, from Stephen and from the epistle to the Hebrews that what you have here is Moses making a deliberate choice to leave Pharaoh's court and to cross over and to become part of his people. He made a deliberate choice to do this. It was an act of tremendous faith and sacrifice for Moses to do this. He threw everything with his lot with his people and everything that implied. He placed his future and Israel's in God's hand as an act of dangerous faith. Go back to Acts chapter 7. You'll see how this is played out here. And we re, he reminds us of the story they all knew about of Moses killing the Egyptians. It says in verse 24, when he went to visit his fellow Israelites, and you notice it's his fellow Israelites, and in this passage he called them brothers, he saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian. So he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Notice, Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them. Uh, clearly, doesn't that indicate that in Moses' mind and in his understanding, he thought it was time, he's the one who God has placed, he had a sense of, of of his destiny, he had a sense of his calling. After all, he knew who he was. He was a Jewish slave who, who, was, who was thrown in a river. He was miraculously raised by his own parents for the probably first four or five years. He was brought into Pharaoh's court as a Jew. When the rest of them were being slaughtered, he was saved and brought into the court and he ended up in Pharaoh's household and was raised and was prepared militarily, educationally, science, everything. If ever there was anybody obvious, he understood God was preparing him to lead his people. I think he clearly has a sense of that. Because it says here, he thought they would understand. When he made that deliberate choice to leave Pharaoh's court, and I believe that's what he did. He left and abdicated from Pharaoh's court, went over to his brothers and sisters, the fellow Israelites, the fellow Jews, and he killed that Egyptian. He thought they would rally around him and they would recognize that he is here to save them And the rebellion would begin and he would lead them to freedom. I think that's clearly what Stephen says. This was his intention. We're talking about intentions this morning. And I think his intention. And the author of Hebrews says it was an act of faith. It was an act of faith. I mentioned courage earlier when we talked about 9-11. It was an act of courage. It was an act of tremendous sacrifice. Why? Because he had a sense of calling of what God wanted him to do. And he chose to do it. And as you learned in your classes this morning, and you can read the account here, of course, as well, we would say it backfired, right? It didn't work. Not only did they not rally around and support him, they challenged him and they pushed, It so they pushed him aside. They pushed him aside when he he came to them, when he came upon two of his brothers and said, why are you fighting like this? Why are you doing this? Why are you harming one another? We're brothers. And they said, oh, you're going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? And they physically pushed him aside, it says. And then he realized that he was in trouble. And then he fled for fear. And then based on the book of Acts, There are many who believe he fled in fear not so much because of Pharaoh even though in Exodus it does say Pharaoh heard of it and wanted to kill him but he fled in fear because his own people had rejected him. He chose intentionally to fulfill his mission and calling. What was the problem? What was the problem? I'm going to look at this from the context of Stephen's speech. If we just had Exodus, we might come to one conclusion. But the thesis of Stephen's speech was what? When he told the people, you are doing what you what? Huh? You can talk what? You've always done. And what have they always done? Rejected the prophets. And in fact, Moses himself reminds this of them in verse 35. When it says here, or the author says, then the Lord said to him, oops, I'm sorry, I need to go to chapter Acts. Um. Oh, okay. Verse 25, it says they did not, they did not realize he was trying to, to save them. And then when he, when he goes later on, it says in verse 30, 35, this is the same Moses, when he's at the burning bush, we'll see this next week, This is the same Moses whom they had rejected with the words, Who made you ruler and judge? Verse 37, This is the same Moses who told the Israelites, God will send you a prophet like me from your own people. Verse 39, But our forefathers refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him and their hearts turned back to Egypt. And the story with Moses is, From his initial offering to fulfill God's mission, his people, he said right here, they rejected him. Later on, when he took them out of of Egypt and into the Sinai, they once again rejected him. And I want to suggest to you that in the context of Stephen's speech, Moses is not criticized. Moses is not told you did something wrong. It is the people who rejected him. That's in the context of Stephen's speech. They rejected him. They rejected one whom God had sent. This is that same Moses. The theme is Israel's rejection of the prophets. And now you've rejected Moses. And now you've rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah whom God has sent. Here's the big question as we come to the end of this. and we're, We have some extra things today to do, so we're going to have a little bit shorter time here. But just here's the big question. Let me ask you this. I wish we were in a little smaller setting this morning. We could have a discussion. You could discuss it yourself on the way home or something. Was his, were his intentions right? Was he right? He says, he, it says he thought they would understand God was using him to save them. Stephen says, They rejected him, just like they rejected everybody else. And they rejected him again. So I ask you, was Moses right in doing what he did? When Moses acted on his convictions, acted on what he thought God was calling to do, he acted on his intentions. Was he right? Or were the Israelites right in rejecting him Because it wasn't God's time. You know how the story plays out. We're not going to surprise anybody when we talk about next week. Forty years later, when he's 80 years old, he's called by God to go back. This time he doesn't want to do it. But he does go back and he does lead them out. And it clearly is God's timing. And so it kind of raises the question. Who was right and who was wrong? If the people were wrong for rejecting him, was he right for offering? If he was rejected until God's time 40 years later, was he wrong? And were they right? His intention, I think, was clear. I think clearly we have to accept God's timing because we believe, as the Bible says, with our Lord and our God, all things work together for good. What? Huh? For those who love Him according to His will, according to His plan, all things work together for good. That's not just a New Testament thing. That is from beginning to end. All things work together for good. God is sovereign. God is over all. And yet humans are responsible for their decisions. Those two fit together. But God is sovereign. God makes choices. But nowhere, nowhere is Moses criticized for his intentions and actions. And in fact, it is the people who are criticized. But clearly it was not God's time. So I'm going to close with this. I think what we can learn today from this for our lives. There is a consistent principle in the Bible of faith in a sovereign God. Amen? Amen? Hebrews 11. By faith. By a tremendous act of faith. Moses. Chose to go over. To the other side. And give up everything. He chose to do that. It was an act of faith. And yet by faith. We believe. That our God is sovereign. And there is this biblical principle. That God works all things after the counsel of His will. So I want you to take this verse home with you this morning. This is nothing new. Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two. You take this home with you to consider and think about because it applies to us in our lives today. In Philippians chapter two, the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Philippi. A letter of great encouragement. A letter of, of tremendous um, hope and peace. And understanding of, of God and His work and His people. In chapter 2 in verse 12, after he spoke about the attitude of Jesus Christ and His example to us, therefore verse 12, my dear friends as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence but now much more in my absence. Paul is writing to this church. This is the first church founded in Europe, Philippi. Continue, now notice this continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling with reverence for God continue to work out daily Josh we talked about this last week Josh encouraged us to to know God's word and and how we live and how it impacts others to work it out daily your own work out yourself not work for your salvation right work out what you already have your salvation work out your salvation for it is God, verse 13, who it is at work in you. Now notice, King James says, Both to will and to act according to His good pleasure. So what is it? When we know God's Word and we live our lives according to God's Word, we work out our salvation, is it us doing it or is it God doing it? Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Yes, it is both. And I want to encourage you today. You know, we look at Moses and we may want to criticize him. We may want to debate, was he right or wrong? The Bible tells us it was an act of faith. The Bible tells us that Moses understood his calling and the people rejected him. But the Bible clearly tells us that it wasn't God's time yet. We are called, friends, to live out our faith. And we are called to make decisions. One of the challenging things I've known in my in my ministry as pastor, is some of the counseling I've done with people, and I can think of some of the times we've talked, and decisions that people are facing, and, and you and you line up the pros and the cons and the yeses and the noes, everything from I've had people who I, I've had some dear friends who um, uh, who who uh, were, were anticipating marriage, but. But their their, their challenge was, but I need to have this much money. I need to have this much in place. I need to have this much security before I can really ask this person to marry me. Some of you are chocolate, right? Because it doesn't generally work out that way, right? (laughs) And I finally to tell this person, you know what? If you are waiting for that, the odds are you are never going to ask her to marry you (laughs) because you're never going to feel you're finally at that place. You have to make a decision. You have to make a decision. Uh, that person did. And they have grandchildren today. <laughs> They've had a wonderful family. Um, we have to make decisions. Some of you have the decisions you're facing right now. And there comes a point where God calls us to act in faith. And the result may not be exactly what you wanted or you intended. You might be in a position of criticizing other people today and criticizing them because maybe the decisions they made didn't work out the way they thought they were going to work out. But I want to encourage you, friends, today to remember, as a people who worship a sovereign God who works all things according to his plan. I didn't write that. Okay? It's in the Bible. And we are called, like Moses, to come to points in our lives where we have to make a decision and we have to move forward. And God calls us to do that. And I want to encourage you, don't always judge yourself and don't judge other people by how everything always does or doesn't work out from our viewpoint. Because God... According to the Bible, is working it out according to his plan. We are called, like Moses, to be faithful, to be sacrificial, to understand, to walk by faith, and to make those choices. And I encourage you this week, friends, that some of you could be facing important decisions. And I encourage you, don't be afraid to make those decisions when God brings you to that point and don't be afraid to walk by faith and certainly let none of us be afraid of what it may cost to step out and serve God even if it doesn't work out the way we thought it should work out all things Work together for good to them who love God, who are called according to His purpose. And I'll tell you something, friends. Come on up and let's have our last song. As we do so, all things work together because of God's will, and that is a good thing. Amen. That is an encouraging thing, and a note we can leave this place today. And walk in faith. And join us next week as we continue to see this man Moses grow before our eyes in his leadership and in his walk with God. Thank you, Pastor. Would you please stand with us for our final song? Give me Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us Jesus. Lord, we thank you so much for calling us by his name. It's our prayer every time we meet, Lord, that if there's one person here today who has not received salvation and forgiveness for sins by acknowledging that they need Jesus, that they are a sinner, and that Jesus died and rose again to pay for their sin and offer them eternal life, I pray, Lord, that today their heart would be open and they would simply say yes to you. And, Fathers, we begin a new... Uh, calendar year in our church, we saw our children leave here a few minutes ago. Our youth groups will be meeting again now, our Sunday school classes, and our clubs begin on Wednesday night. And Lord, I think of uh, those parents of Moses. Think of his mom, Jochebed, Think of his father, the Levite. And Lord, we think of those few years that they had Moses in their house, and by your miraculous design, he went back home before Pharaoh got him. Before the princess got him. It must have been in those years, Lord, that his heart was opened to you. And somehow, against all odds, he kept that faith, surrounded by idolatry, surrounded by sin, surrounded by wealth, surrounded by the temptations of everything he could have wanted. Somehow, Lord, by your miraculous power, he maintained his faith in you and he acted on faith. And we pray today that the hours that will be spent in the year to come of sharing our lives with our children and youth will bring fruit. Bless these mothers and fathers that are here today, Lord. Bless their families and may your word go forth in their children's lives in a mighty way. And may this world be changed by your power. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.